Well, good afternoon, church. Afternoon. I uh, forgot to mention this this Sunday morning, but I think it is important that we uh, acknowledge God's faithfulness in our fellowship here. This Sunday marks the 119th anniversary of the First Baptist Church of Hollywood. Uh, I know we don't look 119 years old, but... uh, Sometimes we feel like it, Uh, but praise the Lord for his faithfulness in bringing us here together today as we uh, come to our time where we open up God's word. I think it is good that I would remind us of a wonderful, wonderful command that we have in in God's word, which encourages us as we come to a time of opening up God's word together. And it's the command that is found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, which says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And as we come together to our time in worship where we open God's word together, we have opportunity to live out that command, to love our God with all of our mind. And this looks uh, differently for each of us, but it is an attentiveness to God's word which, which recognizes that there is never a time when the word of God is being preached that we ought to turn our minds off to, uh, off to what is actually being proclaimed in the scriptures. But rather, we can love God with our mind knowing that we do not live live merely by, uh, wor- uh, by, by bread, but as Jesus said to Satan in the desert, we live by every single word that comes from the mouth of God. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. Now, with that, I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 18 today, where we have a truly remarkable passage in Acts chapter 18, verse 12 to 17, which if you were to uh, take up a commentary on the book of Acts, you would find that many people, as they go to exposit this particular portion of Scripture, they often use it as a, a historical lesson to emphasize the validity of Scripture. Because of a man who is mentioned here in this passage by the name of Gallio, we can date to a very close certainty the ministry of the Apostle Paul and also the validity of the, uh, the words that, the, uh, that Luke writes here in the book of Acts, that this is not just some fairy tale or make-believe stuff, but rather this is events that have happened within history that Luke is recounting to us. And we see an example of it here in Acts chapter 18, verse 12 to 17, when he mentions a man by the name of Gallio, who was the proconsul of Achaia. And so a lot of people, when they take this passage, they, they take it for its historical significance to, to proclaim the validity and the truthfulness of God's Word in an attempt to be able to disquiet all of the naysayers about what God's Word actually is. Is it, is it truth or is it just the, the recollection of man which doesn't really have any basis in reality? A lot of times people look at this passage in this way, yet something greater stuck out to me in this passage today, and that is which, what I wish to draw your attention to today. There's another historical precedent that is set here today in this passage by an unlikely source as to what category the Christian message falls into. When we come to proclaim the message of Christianity, what what category, what message is it that we are proclaiming? What category do we proclaim the Christian message to be in? Now, this comes about, as we see, through an accusation which is hurled at Paul by the unbelieving Jews in Corinth. And in order to understand what I'm talking about, turn with me to Acts chapter 18, verse 12 to 17, where we can learn from this unlikely source what category the Christian message falls into. It says, but when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have to be able to come now and gather before your word as an opportunity to be able to to unite uh, our minds together in one accord to what it is that you are proclaiming to us in your word here today. Lord, we we thank you that by your spirit we are able to to understand and, and recognize the truthfulness that is in this text here today. God, I pray that your spirit would apply these truths to our heart in order that we would be able to have a a more faithful witness as we proclaim the Christian message, that we would be able to have an undistracted message. Rather, it would be focused upon what it is that you would have for us to be proclaiming, namely your words, your truth, in order that men and women who come to it by faith would be able to receive the salvation that is offered alone through the knowledge of the gospel, which is Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection, which he lived uh, in order that we would be able to 
have reconciliation to you, God. And so as we come to this passage here today, God, open our minds and our hearts to the words that are before us in order that we will be able to, to live out our Christian witness so faithfully, Lord, in the midst of these days that we are living in. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, what category does the Christian message fall into? I hesitate asking this question in this way because we know that the message of Christianity is transcendent. It is above all other messages. It does not have a category necessarily that it should fall into because it is God's message and it alone is the message of eternal life. And so I I hesitate asking this question, but I believe that as we read this passage here today, we are confronted with this question that Gallio himself is confronted as the Jews are making this united attack against the Apostle Paul for proclaiming the Christian message. He is left to answer the question, what category is the Christian message falling into? Does it belong in the message of politics? Does it belong in a message of uh, health, wealth, and prosperity? What category should we place the Christian message into? Now, I know that some might be saying, well, we know it is transcendent above all other messages, so we do not really even need to answer it. But as we come before the Word of God today, I think it is right that we understand, at least uh, from a general perspective, the category that the Christian message falls into in order that our Christian witness would be uh, focused upon what it is that we ought to be proclaiming. Because as it is, there are many times when people become confused about what category the Christian message falls into. Some say, and these are not believers, but some say that the Christian message falls in the category of a myth. It's not true. You know, it was uh, taken up by individuals who were superstitious back in the day, but now with our reason and our knowledge and our intelligence, surely you cannot believe what is before us here in the Old and the New Testament. And so people put it into the category of myths. They take it in the area of the Greek gods and the other gods that were invented in the older days, and, and they say the Christian message does not belong in the realm of fact, but rather it is a myth, and therefore it should be proclaimed as such. We don't need to take it as truth. It is just a, a, a myth. It's not, a rea- it's not in reality but rather it's something that people give to themselves in order that they would be able to maybe have some help in this life and some hope in this life. And this, this brings us to the, uh, the, the second category that people often place the Christian message into. They place it in the realm of the self-help category. You know, you go into a bookstore and they have all of the different categories with all the different messages that are wrote it, written on you have health, you have, you know, you have the, the books on uh, fiction, nonfiction, you have the children's section. Other people place the Christian message in the self-help category. And uh, we know this because we, we often hear about this in our society today. They think that the Christian message should be relegated to this because it's an encouraging message filled with hope. It helps you get through difficult times in your life. It's, it's really a good thing for us to be able to consider because when times get bad, the Christian message is very helpful for us. And, and when times are good, we, we have some helpful things in there for us as well when we look to the Christian message. It really helps us as we apply the passages with the power of positive thinking. Once upon a time, I invited someone to come to our church, and their response to me was this. They fell, fall into the category that, that Christian, uh, the Christian message is a self-help category. They said to me this. They said they were not interested in group therapy, and so they would not be coming to the church. I found that fascinating because this is often this idea that people have about what the Christian message is. They think it's, it's all in the realm of self-help. That, you know, it's people who don't know how to live in reality and they need to pick themselves up uh, by this message because they cannot get along with life without having some sort of hope, whether it is true or whether it is not true. Now, where do people get this idea that Christianity is specifically pertaining to self-help issues? Well, this is the dominant theme in many Christian churches today. In many false Christian churches today, the dominant theme is that if you come to Christ, you're not going to have any problems any longer. You're going to be helped by God, and and everything is just going to go well for you. And so people often say, well, the Christian message is all about you. You'll have your your good things. You'll have, you know, some times of trouble, but God will give you hope, and you will get through this life. Still also, there are some that place the category of the Christian message in the health, wealth, and prosperity. You come to God, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, and you'll have the prosperity that you could have never dreamed of if you did not come to God before that. You have those who take up the Christian message that says it's all about you. It's all about you. God is your genie in a bottle. You just tell him, and he's going to give you whatever you want. Jesus is your lottery ticket. You just come to Jesus, and you're going to have whatever you want in this life. This is the category that people often place the Christian message into. This is this idea that 
uh, that, that the Christian message is just going to give you everything your heart would ever desire. And, and if it doesn't, well, that's not the true message. You, you found the wrong Christian message. Now, finally, another, uh, another uh, uh, category that people place the Christian message into is this idea that it is a, a, a message which is given to restore the social injustices of our day. That its purpose is to lift humanity up to a position of utopia in which everyone gets along, no one ever feels slighted, and that everything is to be held in a common pot to which everyone will get an equal share. And I will grant those who think of this in the Christian message that a result of one being a Christian, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that they will have a greater love for their neighbor. But that is not what the Christian message is. It does not constitute what a Christian is, and it does not constitute what the Christian message is. But you say, you know, some of these that I've mentioned, apart from the being a myth category, seem to have some bearing on what the message of Christianity is. This is what Satan often likes to do. He takes a little bit of God's Word, and he twists it. He twists it in order that you can have a little bit of truth to God's Word, and then as you capture them by that little bit of truth that is found in God's Word, he can he can capture people with the false doctrines that he so often likes to bring about in the Christian churches today. This is, what, this is what he does. This is what Satan's tactic always has been. We need only to look in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis to see that the message of Satan is not to create a false message, but rather it is to create and, and take from the message of God to twist it in order that he can distract those who are God's and also to lead all of those who have fallen into his trap into the pit of hell with him. Genesis 3, 1 to 4 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Now again, this is this idea that, that some people will, will say that uh, you know, okay, maybe it's a false message, but isn't it good that people have hope? Isn't it good that, that this message, even if they're not seeing it rightly, is restoring some of the injustices in our day? Isn't it good to have a health, wealth, and prosperity message? Isn't it good to have a, a social gospel which will uplift the humanity? Now, it is a good thing, but it is not what the, what the Scripture actually is proclaiming. There's nothing wrong with people wanting hope. There's nothing wrong with people wanting prosperity and, and health and, and wealth. This is something that people desire. This is something that people seek. But if we make this into the Christian message, what we do is we take from God's Word what we like to hear, and we often uh, remove or don't even talk about what God has said in other areas of His Word. You see, as we think about these uh, 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 categories that people often place the Christian message into, we must understand that these are not the categories in which the Christian message ought, ought to be in because these are man-centered categories. And the reason that the Christian message does not fall into a man-centered category is because it is not man's message. It is rather God's message to man in order that man would be able to see their separation from him and to be able to respond to the free gift of salvation that God has given to them through his son, Jesus Christ. As Paul would say, or as Peter would say, we're not preaching man's message here. We are preaching God's word, and we must receive it as such, and we must proclaim it as such. Romans, 1, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Peter also will say in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to verse 21, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
You say, what category does the Christian message fall into? Well, it is God's message, and we must proclaim it as God's message alone. Not a man-centered message, but God's message delivered to all. Very well, then I've given it to us generally here. This general idea, what category does God's message fall into? Well, it is a category all of its own. It is His message, which is delivered to men and women for all time in order that we can respond to His message by faith and receive the grace that alone comes through believing in Jesus Christ, our Lord. But turning to our text today, I want to remind us of what we have read in order that we would be able to see this this dramatic contrast that comes from an unlikely source, a a politician, be it uh, the Gallio from uh, the proconsul of Achaia. This, This politician is able to recognize the category that the Christian message ought to fall into, and it is important that we understand this for a number of reasons, but most importantly, in order that our Christian witness would be able to go forward in the truth of the gospel and not by creating some man centered witness that so often people wish to make of the Christian message. Reading again from Acts chapter 18, verse 12 to verse 17, we see this this contrast that comes to this unlikely source being able to recognize what category do we place the Christian message in? It says, but when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Now, the unlikely source who points this out to the unbelieving Jews is a man by the name of Gallio, a career politician, a man who had his whole life centered in the politics of the Roman Empire. And I want us to get an understanding of who this man is in order that we can capture the great significance of him recognizing what category the Christian message falls into when the Jews who have God's Word cannot understand the fact that the Christian message is actually God's Word and it is nothing else. It is not man's gospel, but rather this is God's gospel. This man, Gallio, was the proconsul of Achaia, or the governor in our day. He was the uh, ruling body which was, uh, put in, uh, the pro- uh, which was put in Achaia, which uh, had its uh, capital of uh, Corinth during those days. And so he found himself being sent over there by the Roman emperor Claudius, who had, uh, uh, who had elected him to that position of proconsul of Achaia uh, there in that city of Corinth. And this man has a, a, a lot of history written about him. In fact, as I've mentioned, we can date to a, a near certainty the ministry of the Apostle Paul because of the fact that Luke tells us that Gallio was proconsul of Achaia when uh, Paul was finding himself in Corinth. Gallio was proconsul of Achaia from 51 to 52 AD. This means that Paul was in Corinth between 51 to 52 AD. Gallio only served a one-year term, actually a little bit less than a one-year term because he got sick and he had to resign from his position. But nevertheless, a great amount of history comes just from the fact that Luke mentions that Gallio here was the governor of, of Achaia during Paul's time in Corinth. What we know about this man, Gallio, was that he was the brother of a Stoic philosopher that we know even in our day by the name of Seneca, Seneca the Younger, who also was the tutor of Nero. Now, you know who Nero is. He's the evil emperor that ended up killing the Apostle Paul and many other Christians. But during these days, in 51 to 52 AD, Gallio was existing as the proconsul of Achaia. His brother was Seneca the Younger. He was a Stoic philosopher, and Gallio had a great amount of significance in the Roman empire as they knew it during that day. His brother Seneca writes about him saying, no one of mortals is so pleasant to one person as Gallio is to all. He was a very reasonable man. He was a very kind man. Claudius, the emperor of Rome during those days, considered him a friend. We have an inscription that was found at Delphi, which says, uh, which is a, uh, an inscription that was written from Claudius to Gallio, which says, Gallio, my friend. And, and so this man had a great amount of significance in his day. Now, what we also know about him from just reading here in this text is that this man was a politician. He was not a Christian, but rather he was a politician. And this is why I say that that we learn from an unlikely source what the Christian message, uh, which category the Christian message falls into, because this man is not a Christian. He doesn't care about Christianity. He's He's not concerned with the message of Christianity, and yet 
He is brought, to, he is brought uh, before him as he sits at his tribunal, which was really the Bema seat in Corinth. It was a judgment seat, which was generally built up about seven and a half feet off the ground so that he could assert his dominance over the people. And he has before him the Apostle Paul and the Jews. And the Jews have made this united attack against Paul, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. This is what is happening here. This is the picture that Luke paints for us as to what is happening here in Corinth where this man, Gallio, is going to have to decide upon the matter of what category the Christian message is to fall into. Now, how did Paul find himself in this position? Well, uh, looking back from uh, in Acts chapter 18, verse 1 to verse 11, we know that Paul has had a very blessed missionary work here in the city of Corinth. It's one of his best places that he is at. He spends over a year and a half here in Corinth. He's very busy with the work of the gospel. God is bringing fruit to his ministry. In fact, in Acts chapter 18, I believe it is in verse 8, it says, many of the Christians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And on top of this, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, also believed in the Lord. And so he's making himself known in this town of Corinth. And as often would happen, the apostle Paul would find himself not only making converts, but also making enemies especially enemies which were generally relegated to the unbelieving Jews in that area because they believed that Paul was preaching a false message. They did not believe that Paul was proclaiming the truth. Rather, they said that Paul was a heretic, he was blasphemous, and he did not need to be in their town whatsoever any longer. And so what's happening here, as we read in verse 12, is that the Jews made, this is an unbelieving Jews, they made a united attack on Paul and brought him before this tribunal. And there was some point in time where Paul was finding himself in Corinth that he grew to a point where his ministry could no longer continue any longer, at least in the eyes of the, the unbelieving Jews. They could not stand him proclaiming the gospel any longer. And so what they do is they bring him before Gallio, who I've mentioned, and they place him before the tribunal. And the tribunal in the Greek is actually the Bema seat. And as I've mentioned, this would be a seat that was about seven and a half feet high off the ground, and Gallio would make his rulings and his judgments from there. And social issues or political issues, he would rule from that place in order that he would be able to establish some sort of common decency in the society. And so, as we come to this passage here today, the way that Luke paints the picture for us as to how we can understand the category that the Christian message falls into is in two, form, is in two uh, points. And if you're taking notes, I'm breaking this passage up. I'm outlining this passage with two points. First, you have the accusation, and then you have the verdict, which will lead us to be able to understand the category that the Christian message ought to be in. And now, the accusation is told to us in verse 13. The accusation is, accusation is this. This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Now, what are the Jews saying here to Galileo? What are they attempting to do as they are bringing Paul before the tribunal? What are they trying? What, what's the purpose for them bringing Paul before Gallio here? Well, it's simple. They're saying that Paul's message is unlawful. And what they're attempting to do is they're trying to discredit Paul's message to the point where Paul is no longer able to proclaim it any longer, both here in Corinth and also throughout the Roman Empire. The, the, the governor here, uh, Gallio, had a great authority throughout the Roman Empire. And if he was to make a decision that the Christian message was unlawful, this would not only have affected Paul's witness in Corinth, but it would also have affected his, uh, his uh, message and his ability to proclaim it all throughout the Roman Empire. It would have been a law that was, that was standing both in Corinth and anywhere else Paul would have went. And so it would have been a very, very, very big issue if Paul was uh, found to be preaching an unlawful message according to Gallio. And so it's important that we consider what happens here. So Paul's message is unlawful, or if you like it another way, the Christian message is unlawful. And this, as I've mentioned, carries a series of a number of penalties for Paul. Not only would he not be able to proclaim the message any longer, but he also would have been in prison for proclaiming a message which had not been approved by the Roman Empire. Now you say, what's unlawful about Paul's message? Are they referring to the fact that it is contrary to God's law or Roman law? Well, it's, it's both. It, it has a, a dual uh, uh, meaning here as it says that the message that Paul is proclaiming is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. They are immediately referring to the fact that the message that Paul is proclaiming is causing people to uh, worship God contrary to the Mosaic law. That's their purpose. But in doing this, what this does is it allows for Gallio to make a decision that, that what Paul is proclaiming is not a message that has been approved by the Roman Empire because, as it was, Judaism was an approved message by the Roman Empire. It 
they were, they were approved to be able to proclaim their message to people. They could not make Roman converts, but what they could do is they could continue to uphold their message. They could uphold the Mosaic law and all of the other things in the Old Testament. But if Paul was preaching a different message from what they were preaching, Paul would not have been able to do that, and therefore he would have found himself in big trouble with the Roman Empire. Now, how are they going to say that Paul's message is unlawful in the sight of God? This is the main thrust of their argument. What might Paul be saying which would lead them to say that this man is proclaiming people to worship God contrary to the law? Well, we don't have a statement here necessarily that would, that would back up their claim that Paul was doing this, but knowing what Paul preached, we know that Paul could have said a number of things that would have enraged the Jews to make them think that Paul was preaching a, a false doctrine, that Paul was preaching a blasphemous doctrine contrary to God's law. Going back to Acts chapter 13, we have Paul's words to the Jews in Antioch, and I believe that this might have been the issue that the, that, that, that the Jews had with Paul here in Corinth. In Acts chapter 13, verse 38 to 39, as Paul gets to the end of his message as he's proclaiming the Christian gospel, what he says here is this, "...let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which who could not be freed by the law of Moses. This right here is a word that would enrage the Jews because as it was, they believed that they were going to be justified according to the works of the law. What Paul is saying is that the law cannot justify any man, but rather the only way a man can be justified in the sight of God is by receiving the forgiveness of sins that comes alone in the belief of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son who died on the behalf of mankind in order that anyone who comes to him by faith would be saved. This is the message that Paul is proclaiming, and I believe this is the message that is enraging the Jews to the point which they are going to say, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. Now you might say to me, what does the Roman proconsul of Achaia have any worry or concern about God's law? Why should he care one way or another if Paul is preaching a false gospel, at least according to the Jews in Corinth? What does this matter? Well, as I have said, many would say, well, this should be a strictly religious issue and the Roman governor should not concern himself with this whatsoever. But as it was, and as I've mentioned, Judaism was an approved religion in the Roman Empire. And if the Jews can convince Gallio that the message that Paul was preaching was contrary to Judaism, then he would not be able to proclaim it any longer because as it was, the way the Roman Empire saw the message of Christianity at this point, at least up to this point, was that it was a sect of Judaism. It was just an offshoot of Judaism. They did not need to be really concerned with it. They did not need to be really, you know, uh, trying to see, well, what is this message that, that, that Paul is proclaiming here? They just said, well, this is something that the Jews proclaim. You know, Paul being a Jew himself, they just said, we'll just leave it over in this category and not be worried about this. Now, this would change later on as Nero got into power, and Nero began to persecute the Christians very violently. In fact, the Apostle Paul lost his, lost his life at the hands of Nero being beheaded sometime around the year 66 to 67 A.D. But as it was here and now in 51 and 52 A.D., there was not this sentiment towards the Christian message. There was not this realization that the Christian message was, was uh, taken from the Old Testament but found fulfillment in the New Testament, but rather it was just, you know, this is just an offshoot of Judaism. We don't need to worry about that. But what the Jews are trying to do, as I have said, is they're trying to get Gallio to see that Paul's message does not line up with the Jewish message. Therefore, it should not be allowed to be proclaimed any longer in Corinth or, for that matter, anywhere else. Now, it is within the verdict that we have from Gallio here in which we see the category in which the Christian message belongs to, and this will be to the displeasure of the Jews and to anyone else. What category does the Christian message fall into? Well, we see this contrast here from the man himself, Gallio, in verse 14 and verse 15. It says, But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about, your, about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. Now, what is the verdict of Gallio here? What category does the Christian message fall into? As it was, the Jews were trying to make it a political message. They were trying to make it a political thing where the government needed to get involved and the government would be able to decide on what category the Christian message falls into. But Gallio would have none of it. 
Galilee would have none of it. And he would say, the Christian message does not belong in the realm of politics, but rather the Christian message is a religious message, and it must be proclaimed as such. I will not have anything to do with what you are saying about these things. Now, I want to summarize Galileo's verdict here and then draw out its significance for us in our day. What he says to the Jews ultimately is this. He says, the issues that you have with Paul and his message are not issues relating to politics, as they were trying to make it. They were trying to say this is relating to things of the government or public affairs of the region that we are in, and, and the government needs to do something about this in order that they could put a stop to the, to the blasphemous message that the Apostle Paul is proclaiming here in the city of Corinth. But what he says to them is this, very simply, if it were a matter about those things, the politics that you were trying to make it about, I would have reason to talk to you about this. But this is not about politics here. This is about things pertaining to words and, and names and, and things according to your own law. Therefore, you deal with it. You figure it out. I have no business dealing with the religious issues that are brought up between your conflict with the Apostle Paul and yourself. He says that, that uh, Paul is not breaking any laws with the Christian message as they are upset over words and names and their own law. This is a religious matter. This has nothing to do with the politics of their day. Now, Gallio, what he does here is he gives what we would call a sub summary judgment in our day where the judge would receive the case and they would see it for what it is. They say this has no merit, no basis. They toss it out and this is the summary judgment where they just get rid of the case altogether. It lacks any merit. And now we know this enrages the Jews because in verse 16 it says he drove them from the tribunal. So we have this picture here where the Jews are saying, we disagree with your verdict here. We don't want, to, we don't want this verdict. We want to appeal this verdict. Let's, let's think about this again here. But Galileo says, nope, get out of here. My verdict is my verdict. You must go from this place and you must find yourself dealing with these things on your own. And so then what category does Gallio, a politician uh, of all sorts, a, a politician, what, what category does he place the message of Christianity, Christianity in? Well, he says it is a religious matter. It is a religious message. And in doing this, he says also that it is not a political one. Now, I know someone might say to me, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And I agree with that sentiment, but by definition of the very word religion, Christianity is itself a religious message. It, it, religion is defined as this. It is the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal God or gods. Now, what we know to be true, and it is true, is that Christianity is the only true religion and that everything else is a counterfeit, yet it is a religion and thereby its message is religious. And this is important. This is significant for us in our day as we go to proclaim the message of Christianity. Namely, that when we proclaim the Christian message, we do not proclaim it as a political one. We do not proclaim it as a self-help well, uh, self uh, gospel. We do not proclaim it as a social gospel, but rather we put it in the category that it belongs. Namely, it is a religious message, and it is a religious message because it is God's message which is declared to all. Now, the first point that Gallio makes is this, and I have said it, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it a few more times after this. The message of Christianity is not a political one. Look to verse 14. It says, but when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. Essentially, he says, I don't need to get involved with this issue. There's no legal matter in which needs to be taken up. The government is going to stay out of this issue. Now, as I've mentioned just a short amount of time later, this uh, kind of uh, shifts. The government has a different opinion of Christianity, and they believe that it is a, uh, a, 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 has the possibility of turning people against the government. And so what they do is Nero ends up persecuting the Christians very violently. But as it was here and now, the Christian message is put in the right place that it belongs. It is not a political one. It's not anti-government. It's not pro-government. It is a religious message which exists to draw people to, their, to the one true God by faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is this a crucial point to make? Why is it a crucial point to make that we understand that the Christian message is not a political one? Well, for many reasons. One, because this is true. The Christian message is not a political message. It is not a message which needs to get involved with the affairs of the government. It's not a message that needs to become politically motivated, but rather it is a religious one. And the reason that it is a crucial point to make that it is not a political message is because whenever someone makes the Christian message to be a political one, they always, they always, not sometimes, they always turn the message into something that it is not. 
They always turn it into something that it is not. It is a man-centered political message on whatever side the individual leans on. They always make the message into something that it is not, and therefore they begin to preach a different gospel. As they make it a political message, what they do is they change the message, and therefore they change God's message to their own liking. And what happens is tragic. What happens is often you will have individuals, pastors and churches, standing up, and instead of proclaiming the Word of God, they will proclaim the message, but then they will apply the message to whatever political uh, bent they have in their, uh, in their church. I saw this just this past week. If you're familiar with the uh, runoff elections that are happening in Georgia during these days, you have Warnock and you have also Walker who are going through a runoff election. And you look online and you see pastors, and there are pastors from both sides trying to make the claim that the candidate which they want to win, is, uh, it, it is shown that he is going to win because of some passage they find in the Scriptures. They make the Scriptures about a political message that is related to Georgia, where God is not talking about a political uh, party in Georgia. Georgia when he's talking about these things. One such example that I saw this week comes from the book of uh, Scripture that we are in here today, in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 12, you have the apostle Peter who is in prison. He's chained in prison. He doesn't know when he's going to get out. He doesn't know when the chains are going to be set free. He does not know when his time has come where he's going to receive the victory from being in prison. And the pastor applied this to the senator in which he was hoping to win. He said, the time is coming for this man where his chains are gone and he's going to be uplifted to the position of senator and the party in which they want to have the, uh, the, the majority in Senate is going to win. He made it all about politics when it was nothing to do with politics. He did this, and this is something that happened in another example that I saw this week where the pastor was preaching from Joshua 24, 15, which says, choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This always happens in politics. They make one side or the other the Christian side, and the other side is not the Christian side. Again, this is not, this is not the idea that we must get when we look to the scriptures where, where one politic is better than the other politic, or one party is, is more Christian than the other party. Now, can we be concerned about politics? Absolutely. But when we make the message of politics the same as the message of Christianity, we do wrong. We run contrary to what the message of Christianity is. We must never confuse Christianity and country because the two are not the same. They never will be the same. They are never going to be the same, and therefore we must not confuse Christianity with country. We must not confuse congregation with country. We must put them in their rightful places. Another example that I saw of this, I read of this actually a, a few years ago, and it just, it just amazed me. There was a pastor in the UK some years ago who was a predominant figure in his, uh, in his church, in the, in, the, in, the, um, in the denomination that he was in, not just within his church, but within the entire denomination. And what he proposed to the denomination was this. He said they needed to remove the Bible from the pulpit. They did not need to preach from the Bible any longer, but rather every week they need to come with a political message pertaining to whatever political party that they were wished to supporting that they wish to support. And this is what the pastor was uh, presenting to this entire denomination in the UK, saying, we don't need the scriptures anymore. We need the political message that the people want, and we're going to give the people what they want. What does this do? What does this do? This distracts the church from its goal. The, church is, the church's goal is not to create a political party, but rather the church's goal is to build the kingdom of God. And if we begin to preach politics rather than the Christian message, we don't do that because we always distract ourselves from the message. Now, not only is this distracting the, the goal of the church, but it also limits the church witness in the world because it confuses the world. You know what happens when we have churches from all different denominations in all different areas preaching all different messages and putting the message of Christianity in a bunch of different categories? The world doesn't know what the Christian message is. You have one church saying the message is about self-help, another church saying that the message is a myth, but it's good to, you know, kind of think about. There are, there are churches that believe Christianity is a myth, and yet they still follow it. It doesn't make any sense to me, but they do. There are also other churches who say the message of Christianity is a social gospel. And then you have churches who say the message of Christianity is a political one. And the world says, which one is it? What is it? I don't know what you believe. Are you saying it's self-help or, or health, wealth, prosperity or social justice gospel or, or is it a political gospel? What is it? What is the message that you are seeking to get to the people in the world today? You see, if we make the Christian message anything other than what it is, we not only, 
We not only hinder our own growth in the body of Christ, but we also confuse the world and therefore it disrupts our witness to the world. The world doesn't know what our message is because the, the, the church is so divided as to what the Christian message belongs into. And well, what, is the, what, what area does the Christian message belong into? What category is it? Well, it is a religious message. And I know, I know what people will say, you know, it's, it's this idea, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And again, I agree with that sentiment, but as it is, the, the, the meaning of the word religion thereby says that the Christian message is a religious one. Now, we know that no other religion is like the religion that we have, but as we proclaim the message to the world, it is important that we understand the category in which we need to deliver it to people by. We need them to know that our message draws people to belief in the one true God. That it is a religious message because our message is delivered by God himself. It is not a message about politics or anything else. Rather, it is God's message to humanity. And anything else that we would proclaim it as is merely a counterfeit. And it cannot save people from the wrath that is to come. You see, our message is about God and the things of God. Therefore, it is a religious message. You say, why? Why is it a religious message? Well, because it is God's message. It is God's message that we are delivering to people. This is not a, a man-centered message. I have not made this up and, and said, you know, uh, this is what I think God has said here. But rather, as we have seen from the prophets who say, thus saith the Lord, and as we see from the apostles where these say that we have not given you this by our own interpretation, but rather we speak the very things of God, we can know that the message that we proclaim is God's message. Therefore, it, is, it belongs to the religious category. Now, it's incredible to me that Gallio can see this and yet still not see the significance of his statement about what Christianity is, and yet he still makes his point in verse 15. He says, but since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. Essentially, he says to the Jews here, and also Paul, because Paul is there listening, he says that what you are worried about is matters pertaining to what God has said. Why should I have a say in this point at all? Gallio says, you know, th this is nothing to do with me. In fact, as we know about Gallio, one of the other things that I found out about this man Gallio is that he thought that the Jews and the Christians also were merely superstitious individuals. He didn't believe the Christian message. He didn't believe the Jewish message. He just said, these guys are superstitious, but even in that, I'm not going to get involved in that. Even though I don't believe in that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let them handle it for themselves because this message does not have anything to do with politics. Rather, this is entirely relating to the religious issues as to what God himself has said, because this is what the argument was. The reason the Jews said that Paul was persuading people to worship contrary, God contrary to the law is because they are saying that Paul is taking the words of God in the Old Testament pages of Scripture, and he is twisting them, and he's saying these words do not, uh, the, the, the Jews are saying the words that Paul is, is, is attributing to Christ here do not match up. They're saying Paul has got these things wrong, and so Gallio says, what do I have to do with this? What do I know about words and names and things pertaining to your, to your own law? He puts them in the position that they ought to be in here, and, and, and in doing this, we get an idea about what the Jews were upset about with Paul's message. Is this, is, it's this, and I just came up with a few ideas. Paul says, is saying that Jesus is the Messiah, and the Jews are saying that he is not. Paul's saying that Jesus brings salvation by his atoning sacrifice for sins, and that this salvation can be received by grace through faith apart from the works of the law. And the Jews will say that salvation comes by works of the law. Paul is saying that Jesus was fully man and fully God. The Jews are saying this was blasphemy. And finally, Paul, spoke, or Paul said David spoke of Jesus' resurrection, and the Jews would say that Jesus himself was a fraud. And this is what Gallio is hearing, and he's saying, I don't have anything to do with this. This is a religious issue. This is God's message, and, and I don't need to find myself getting involved with these things. Now, the sad part about all of this is that the Jews, they were trying to say that the message that Paul was proclaiming was different from the message that they themselves had received from the prophets. You know, Paul, as he is proclaiming the message of the gospel here in Corinth, we don't have any, any New Testament scripture written. Well, James was probably written around 44 or 45 AD, but we don't have the gospels written here. We don't have any of the, uh, the latter epistles written here. And so when Paul is proclaiming the message of the gospel, do you know what, what he's using? 
He's not using the New Testament. We didn't have it. He's using the Old Testament. And he is saying the very words that the Jews have, that they are saying, well, the works, uh, the, 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 the salvation comes by, by the justification through our works. Paul says, no, you've got it all wrong. Salvation comes by faith. Look at what the prophets have said here. And the Jews are just, uh, they're incensed about this, saying, how can this man say these things? This is blasphemous. What's so interesting to see here is that what Paul is saying here cannot be seen as anything but picking up or taking up the message that the Jews themselves had and giving it the meaning in which it, which it which had come to fulfillment through what Jesus Christ himself had done. That, that, that Jesus brought these words to fulfillment. That the Old Testament was not separated from what Jesus would do, but rather it spoke of what, what, what Jesus was going to do when he came in his earthly ministry. And for the Jews to say this man is preaching something entirely contrary to we are, what we ourselves are proclaiming, it just shows how blind they are to the truth that is right there before them. Even Gallio could see this. The Jews are saying this man is not saying what we are saying, and Gallio says he is saying what you are saying, and you don't see it. It's incredible to see that this man, Gallio, one who did not care about God, did not concern himself with the things of God, could see that what Paul was saying was bringing fulfillment to the words of the Old Testament, whereby, whereas the Jews themselves could not. Gallio could say to the Jews and Paul, the message that Paul preaches comes straight from the prophets that you yourselves proclaim. How can you then say his message is unlawful? And so then, this was a dispute that needed to be resolved amongst themselves. This is, this is what it was. This was a religious dispute that needed to be resolved amongst themselves. You see, we must understand this. The Christian message must always be proclaimed as God has intended it to be proclaimed. We do not need to give a new meaning, nor should we attempt to find a, a deeper, more spiritual meaning from it, but rather proclaim it for what it is. It is God's Word. It is God's word which, which tells us about the separation of man from God because of what Adam and Eve did in the garden and the continual rebellion against God, uh, God our Savior, throughout the days of the Old Testament into the New Testament. It is the word that tells us about the fact that man is separated from God and destined to spend an eternity under his wrath because they have rejected their only Savior, Jesus Christ. It is God's word which tells us of the fact that he sent his only begotten son into this world in order that by his life, by his death, by his resurrection from the grave, anyone who places faith in him can be saved. This is God's word that we proclaim and we must proclaim it as such. Why? Well, because self-help saves no one. The fact is no amount of positive thinking or positive affirmations has ever been able to solve man's greatest needs. Also, there is this fact that politics saves no one, as the issues of the heart cannot be touched by legislation or government programs. The government cannot save people. On top of this, living your best life now saves no one. Jesus saves, and we proclaim the message of salvation when we proclaim the Christian message, which is given to us in both the Old and the New Testament. And so Paul, what he does is he proclaims the message in the message alone. And he proclaims it as God's message we must see this, this urgency that Paul has in proclaiming the Christian message over and above everything else. When Paul comes to these places, sure there were social injustices, sure the government was wicked and evil, but we don't see Paul preaching politics here. Never will you look in the book of Acts and Paul saying something related to fixing the politics of his day. Rather, Paul is seeking to get into the issues of the heart. He is seeking to see people reborn through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not concerning himself with the politics of his day. Rather, he is concerning himself with preaching the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16 says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me ground, no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And as the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Now, for anyone who wishes to say, I still want to preach politics with the Christian message. Well, I have this for you here today. If you wish to make the Christian message political, talk about this fact. Jesus reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords, and all rulers and principalities are in subjection to him. And one day, everyone who has ever lived will stand before him in judgment, and they will either receive his mercy by faith or condemnation because they have rejected him. That is the message that we are called to proclaim. It is the message that we are called to proclaim. Now, one thing I wish to warn us by with this message here today. As we look at Gallio here, I want to stop short of commending him for what he says here. Sure, he is able to make the distinction between what the Christian message falls into as by way of its category. He sees it's not a political message, but rather he sees that it is a religious one. But he does not need to be commended for what he says here. Rather, he must, he must be called to the truth of what he says here. You see, what he says here is true. The Christian message is not a political one, but it is religious. But his verdict is not entirely right. You know why? Because he saw the Christian message as if it was among many other messages. He didn't see it as the truth. It was not unique. Sure, people said it was God's word, but Gallio just says, I'm not going to bother myself with these things. I, I, I have no, I have no, uh, no uh, concern about this. In verse 15, I refuse to be a judge of these things. This man, Gallio, had a sheer indifference to the statement that Paul is proclaiming the words of God and that if they receive them by faith, they can be saved. Gallio had a sheer indifference to the message of the gospel. It would go in one ear, and out the other. This man said, it doesn't pertain to me. And so often, people will, they'll put Christianity in many, cat, many categories. They'll even put it in a religious category. There are many religious people who follow other religions today who will say that Christianity falls into the religious category. But they stop short, and their stopping short shows they do not understand the Christian message for what it really is. This is a message that pertains to everyone. This is a message that pertains to everyone. No matter what religion they follow, the message of Christianity pertains to everyone because it is God's only message to humanity. It is God's only message to humanity. All other religions fall short because they are man-made. They are man-centered religions. All of the individuals who purported them are dead in the grave. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is not dead in the grave. Rather, He lives he lives forever, and thereby we know that we have the message of God because God has come in the flesh to deliver it to us. You see, anyone who sees the Christian message as just you know, one message among many does not see it for what it is. And any of us who proclaim the Christian message as one message among many also do not see it for what it is. We do not need to say, this is what I believe. This is what I think, I, this is what I think is, is what is being said here. You know, someone asks us about sin or anything. Well, this is what I think is said. This is what the Christian message says. No, this is what God has said. This is the only message that has the power to save. This is the only truth that man needs to be able to be reconciled to God. There is no indifference allowed to this message. God's not going to say one day, well, you know, you were sincere in this other stuff, and so I'll accept you into my rest. God's never going to say that because he judges us he judges us for our sins once and for all on the fact of whether or not we have placed our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And if we have, He will welcome us into His rest. But if we have not, He will damn us to an eternity in hell. You see, we must never approach God's message with anything less but total surrender to what it is. It is God's message. We do not mix it with other things. We do not just say, well, you know, God's message plus a little bit of health, wealth, and prosperity. We do not say, well, God's message plus a little bit of social gospel. We do not say God's message plus a little bit of political leanings here. Rather, God's message is what we proclaim because God's message alone has the power to save. As Paul would say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. This is Romans 1, verse 16. Church, let us proclaim the message as it is meant to be proclaimed. God's message of reconciliation to sinners. Us, we have been saved by it, and we know that anyone who believes it by faith will be saved also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you have given to us to consider your word here. God, we thank you that there is just so much value as we come to your word every single waking moment of our lives. God, help us to desire your word more as we come from this passage here today. Desire it for what it is, namely, namely your message to humanity, Lord. 
Lord, we thank you that you have delivered it to us. God, we thank you that you have preserved it for us. God, we thank you that you are still proclaiming it to us today and and allowing for us to understand it by your Spirit as you impart to us the truth and convict our hearts and and write the words, words of your gospel on our heart. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness to us. May we go forward proclaiming your message as you have intended for it to be proclaimed, namely as, as your message which reconciles sinners to yourself through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray these things. Amen.